Do you pray? Why do you pray? What exactly do you hope to accomplish by praying? What makes you think God is listening? Because let me tell you, the Lord does not hear your prayers. The Lord does not hear your prayers. That is the first thing that we observe this morning. And of course, when I say the Lord does not hear your prayers, I owe you an explanation, don't I? And so this is what I mean. False religion, and this is the problem with false religion, is that false religion only fools people, but it never fools God. And so if you remember in Isaiah chapter 58, which we read last week, we saw how Isaiah denounced not the usual suspects, you know, not the prostitutes, not the thieves, not the murderers, but Isaiah denounced the people who seemed serious about religion. You know, these are the people who prayed every day, people who read scripture every day, and these were the people who even fasted often. And it was them, these people who who seemed so committed and so serious about following God that Isaiah denounced. And we saw the reason why, as we heard them complaining in chapter 58, we heard, why have we fasted, they complained. Why have we fasted and you see it not? And that was the fascinating thing. You see, these people, they knew at some level that for all their false religion, that God was not on their side. For all the things they did in the name of God, they had no inner assurance that God was with them, that God was on their side. And so they complained, we are fasting and we are fasting and we are fasting and you don't see it, you don't care. And the reason, of course, is that God is not fooled by false religion. And the same thing continues in this chapter. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull, that it cannot hear. You see, what Isaiah is telling Israel is that the same God who rejected the fasting of sinful people is the God who rejects the prayers of sinful people. Why? Notice how sin causes a rift Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. So we can think of sin in different ways, using different images. Sin is the deep chasm that that makes it impossible to cross over to the other side. On the other side of sin stands we, the sinners, On the other side stands God, the holy God, and there is no bridge in between. Sin is a deep chasm. Or we can think of sin as an impregnable and unscalable wall that separates the holy God on the one hand and sinners on the other hand. Or we can think of 
sin as if you've all done this when you were children, right? When you bring the magnets together. And depending on how you orient it, you can stick the two magnets or they repel. That's what sin is. It repels sinners from the holy God. Or you can think of sin as the alienating, dividing, separating reality. Sin causes a rift. It turns God against sinners. And that's what Isaiah means when he says, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. But notice something else. God turns away not only from the sin, but from the sinner too. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. You know, sometimes we hear people say, God hates the sin and loves the sinner. Now, there is a proper way to say that and understand that that's true. But you do realize that as a slogan that describes a spiritual reality that a sinner faces before God, it is not an accurate statement. Because God... He does not merely oppose sin. He opposes the sinner. God turns his face from the sinner, and he does not hear the prayers of sinful people. And in this chapter, if you notice, this chapter lists some of the sins that turn God away from Israel. Verse number three, verse three. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. Uh, To God, there is no such thing as just words. Lies turn God away from liars. And that's really important for us to realize Our God, the the very first thing we read about God in the Bible is that God spoke the world into existence. The very first thing we learn about God is that God is a God who speaks. And when God creates man, Adam and Eve, in his image, part part of being created in God's image is that God gives Adam and Eve the gift of language. And... That gift of language was so that Adam and Eve through it and mankind after Adam and Eve might through the gift of language pursue God, honor the truth. That is the purpose and the dignity behind the gift of language. And so when language does not serve the purpose of pursuing God and honoring the truth. But when language serves other ends, God calls it wickedness. And to God, there's no such thing as just words. And so it's the, your lips have spoken lies, your tongue mutters wickedness. That turned God away from Israel. And notice also how God also rejects the pursuit of what is wrong 
under the pretense and the guise of doing what is right. No one enters suit justly. No one goes to law honestly. God is himself the lawgiver. God is himself the judge. And it offends him when the courts and the legal system are manipulated to serve sinful ends. Because the courts and the legal system, they are supposed to be the reflection of God's righteousness, His justice, and His truth. Now, who among us reading this can be at ease? Lies, big and small, flow from human lips. And our courts are no longer the reliable haven of truth. Do you see here, as God rebukes Israel, he also rebukes us and our society. And it was for this and other sins that God turned his face from Israel for lying lips, the perversion of truth. God turned his face. It was not because his arm was too short to save or to reach out, and it wasn't because his ears were dull that he couldn't hear. He refused to hear the prayers of the sinful people. And this is what Isaiah means when he says to Israel, the Lord does not hear your prayers. But I have good news for you. And the good news is that the Lord hears the prayers of Jesus. The Lord hears the prayers of Jesus. Now, if you notice what is happening in this chapter, as Isaiah reflects upon God's holiness and he realizes the terrible cost of sin, Isaiah is led to an anguished confession. Verse 9, Therefore, justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. Now, in the Old Testament, especially in Isaiah, we often hear the phrase justice and righteousness. And if I were to simplify the matter a little bit, justice uh, is just a way of saying righteous or upright action that rises out of righteousness, which is upright principle. So righteousness is really uh, just another way of saying God's revealed truth. And when God's revealed truth, righteousness is received, it needs to produce justice, meaning upright, holy conduct. That's what justice is, and that's what righteousness is. That's why so frequently in Isaiah we hear the two put together, justice and righteousness. And here, Isaiah is making a very painful confession. Therefore, justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. 
And he continues in verse 14. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Now, what we need to realize is that Isaiah is not speaking to some foreign Gentile nation. He's not speaking to some pagans who worship idols, Baal, whatever. He's not talking to them. Truth has disappeared from your public squares. To whom is Isaiah addressing? Isaiah is speaking to Israel. And he says to them, Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away for truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. What Isaiah means is this. When we receive the righteousness of God, the upright teachings, when we receive the revealed truth, it really ought to bring out of us justice, right living. And yet Isaiah is confessing and mourning the fact that God's word has left so little and so light an imprint upon those who are privileged to hear God's word so often. And this ought to shock us, the fact that Isaiah is not addressing pagans who have never been taught scriptures, but he's addressing the nation of Israel who had the privilege of the ministry of God's word, and yet the word of God left no impression. They were not changed. You see, Israel, they put on a good show. But her religion was devoid of true devotion, and it was lacking true transformation. And that is why Israel has become a dangerous place for those seeking true righteousness. Verse 15, truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. That is to say, the situation has reached a point where anyone who tries to avoid what is wrong becomes a target and a prey. I don't know how you can read this passage and doubt that Isaiah is speaking not only to Israel but to us today. I don't know how anyone can read this and and wonder if Isaiah is relevant today. I mean, isn't this what has happened. Truth has disappeared from the public square and anyone who tries to avoid evil becomes a target and a prey. And so you, you can see very clearly, I think, that this was a time of great sorrow and helplessness for the truly godly people of that time. And so we read in verse 11, we all growl like bears. Um, 
Now, if you didn't know the idioms of the Old Testament, it sounds a little odd, and maybe it even sounds a little comical. But the phrase, we all growl like bears, is used in other parts of the Old Testament to, to describe intense anger. The truly godly people, they are angry. You see, truth has disappeared. Righteousness has disappeared. Justice has disappeared. And they are angry. And, then, and we read, and we moan and moan like doves. Again, uh, that phrase in other parts of the Old Testament is used as a sound of deep sadness. And we hope for light and behold darkness, for brightness, but we walk in gloom. You know, only the godly, the truly godly, can perceive darkness. And it is, it is the reality and the calling of the godly people living in an ungodly world to be angry, to mourn at what is happening and what has happened. You see, these godly people, they had hoped for revival. They had hoped for change, but they were disappointed time and time again. But God answers. And his answer is, on the one hand, a word of comfort to the godly who, who are angry, who are sad, who have been disappointed. And it is at the same time an answer to their longing. Because you see, if the godly were disappointed in their life, they wanted to see righteousness, they wanted to see justice, they wanted to see light, but the, the thing that they long for was not there. And if they were disappointed, deeply disappointed, it was so that their prayers, their moaning, their cries might move God's heart to pity. And I think there's something to think about there because we, as people who love the Lord, we also become angry. We are also sad. And we think of that experience only as a negative reality, when in fact, that our grief, our sorrow, and even, yes, our anger might be the fuel for our prayers that move God to pity, to act. And that is certainly what we see here. So God speaks in verse 15, The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. You know what Isaiah is saying? God was deeply grieved that there was no one to help his people. 
God was deeply grieved that there was no righteousness and justice. So God would himself intercede and be the Savior and the strength of his people. How? He put on righteousness as a breastplate. At the very least, what that means is that God does not diminish his righteousness when he comes to save. God does not come dressed as a diplomat to reach a a mutually satisfying compromise to find some common ground between the holy God and the sinner. That's not how God comes. Rather, God comes as a warrior dressed for battle. He comes to fight with his full righteousness. That is why the breastplate of righteousness is paired with the helmet of salvation because salvation can only be achieved through the perfect fulfillment and triumph of righteousness. God does not compromise, diminish, decrease, or lessen the demands of his holiness and righteousness. Rather, he comes to battle sin with his full righteousness. And that is why God's intercession, God stepping into our misery looks very specific. Verse 20, And a Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression. Redemption is light and transgression is darkness. They cannot coexist. And so the promise, this is my covenant with them. With whom? The people who find their refuge, their salvation, their comfort and strength in the Redeemer. God makes a covenant with his people and he addresses the Redeemer, his son, and he makes a promise. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring from this time forth and forevermore. You see, God's Redeemer will come and establish lasting loyalty to righteousness. God's Redeemer will come, and from his mouth will not come lies and deceit and wickedness, but from his mouth will come God's truth, God's righteousness, God's word. And when he prays, when he prays to the holy God who hides his face and closes his ears to the prayers of sinners, when this righteous Redeemer prays, God, who loves his righteous and just Redeemer, will never turn his face from him, and he will never refuse his prayers. The Lord does not hear the prayers of sinners, but the Lord hears the prayers of Jesus. And thirdly and finally, so the Lord hears your prayers in Jesus' name. 
God loves his righteous and just Redeemer. He will never turn his face from him or refuse his prayers. Except God did just that, didn't he? Jesus cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God turned his face from Jesus. And God refused Jesus' prayers because Jesus prayed, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And God did not hear that prayer. He did not answer that prayer. And so the question is, was God's arm too short to save Jesus? Was his ears too dull to hear Jesus' prayers? And of course, the answer is, by no means. It is because Jesus took our sins that God treated him as our sins deserved. It is because Jesus took our sins that God refused to reach out to Jesus and save him from death. It is because Jesus took our sins that God closed his ears to his prayers. And yet, we see, don't we, that the sins that he bore were ours, not his. And we see that Jesus was himself truly righteous because when Jesus prayed, my father, if it it be possible, let this cup pass from me, Jesus said also, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And you see, it is in that righteousness that you and I, we have full assurance that God hears us when we pray in Jesus' name. Do you remember how Jesus, mere hours before he was crucified, In John chapter 16, this is what he told his disciples. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. You see, Jesus went to the cross so that you and I might call on God in prayer and know that he is our loving Father, that you and I might know that when we pray in Jesus' name, that we might have this assurance that our loving Father knows our needs and he hears our prayers and he answers our prayers. So I ask you again, do you pray? What makes you think that God even hears you? What exactly do you hope to accomplish? Well, the answer to that is, is that yes, I pray in Jesus' name, and I know that my God and my Father hears me, and I know that in love, He will answer me. And that's what praying in Jesus' name means. It means that we trust the one who fought the battle, and he won. And when we pray in Jesus' name, we are praying as people who, like Jesus, 
as the word of God, righteousness of God was so powerfully imprinted upon Jesus that the only word that came out of his mouth was truth, justice. And as the word of God was so powerfully imprinted upon Jesus that everything he did was righteous, just, holy, and good. And so for us, when we pray in Jesus' name, it means on the one hand that we pray trusting in the Lord Jesus who paid for our sins and as people who are continuing to grow so that God's word is imprinted upon us more and more that we grow increasingly to live a life of justice, holy, upright, good in God's eyes. You know, that is what God is promising in Isaiah chapter 59. This is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring. No longer lies, no longer deceit, no longer wickedness, but in our mouth is the word of God. And in our lives, there is truth. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. So, Loved ones, pray, but pray in Jesus' name. Your Father loves you, and grow and like, be like Jesus, become like Jesus. Let God's righteousness lead to justice. Then nothing, nothing will hinder your prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's pray together. Oh, gracious God and Father, we come to you in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, rejoicing that he, he fought the battle and he conquered, and he has accomplished for us the right of access, the privilege of calling upon you as our Father and knowing that you hear us and you will answer us in love. So God, I pray that you would give your people, your children, the confidence and the assurance to pray. May they know that you, O Lord, are full of love and grace. And may your people call upon you and know that you are near to bless and to heal. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.